The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. The planet's health and a presidency under siege. This is Thursday, June 1st, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this show by using and bookmarking the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Choose your news. Trump's overseas trip and the upcoming campaign-style rallies to promote his agenda, or the White House setting up a war room to handle the Russia investigations and telling Jared Kushner to lay low. For a scandal that Trump calls fake, there are a lot of interesting revelations, including the news last night that in the midst of the Russia investigations, the Trump administration is now working a deal to give back to Russia the diplomatic compounds the U.S. had taken away as punishment for interference in the 2016 presidential campaign. But the biggest developments the president came home to include, one, the president's son-in-law, who's also a top advisor with an office directly connected to the Oval Office, is someone the FBI would like to interview about what he might know about Russian meddling in the election campaign. The feds say they're not necessarily looking to charge Kushner with a crime, but they believe he has significant information. Kushner's reportedly agreed to cooperate with those FBI investigators. Since then, a separate source told NBC News that various White House officials have urged Kushner to lay low, perhaps with good reason. More on Jared Kushner in a moment. Two, the Trump campaign itself is under investigation. The Senate Intelligence Committee has asked for all documents, emails, and phone records of the Trump campaign from the day it began in June of 2015. The campaign had been notified months ago to preserve those documents. Dozens of former staffers have been asked to cooperate and have been notified of what documents need to be surrendered. Although individuals involved in the Trump campaign have been singled out in the Russia investigation, Carter Page and Roger Stone, to name two, this is the first time the campaign itself was under scrutiny. Three, that the Russians may have dirt on Trump and or his people after all. If true, then Russia would be in a position to influence certain decisions by Trump. It was last summer that FBI counterintelligence agents got hold of a dossier put together by a widely respected former British spy named Christopher Steele. The dossier was a summary of what Steele had learned about what Russia had learned about Donald Trump. Since the spy put this together for the Clinton campaign, the claims inside had to be checked out. A number of things Steele wrote down have since been verified by U.S. counterintelligence. Sources say they didn't check the more salacious entries involving hookers and more. But now we've learned from U.S. intelligence that Russian officials did talk among themselves about having dirt on Trump. Financial stuff, apparently. Through his lawyers, Trump claims he has almost no financial ties to Russia, although he's had business with Russia in the past. And although son Eric denies it now, he reportedly told a reporter two years ago that the Trump golf empire needed no American investors because, quote, we have all the funding we need out of Russia. Seeing Trump's hidden tax returns would clear things up, and the investigations are increasingly about the money. That discussion between Russian officials was recorded during a phone call intercepted by U.S. intelligence. U.S. intelligence sources say the Russians on that tap line believe they, quote, had the ability to influence the administration through derogatory information. The sources say the Russians could have been exaggerating, but that the subject was influencing the election. And Trump aides were discussed, but the sources wouldn't say which ones. Even before this, we'd learned that intercepts had also revealed Russian officials bragging and congratulating themselves on the relationships they'd established with Trump's first campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, who had to resign, and Trump's first national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who had to resign. Multiple past and present U.S. intelligence officials confirmed that the Russians talked about how they could use Manafort to shape Trump's views on Russia. Manafort, who worked for Russian interests for years at $10 million a year, denies he did any shaping and says he's willing to cooperate with investigators. These U.S. intelligence sources have already risked more than just their careers by leaking these discoveries to the press. Thanks to that leak, Russia is now certain of what it likely expected, that conversations between its officials in Moscow and its officials in the U.S. are not secure. Now they may even know how we listen in. 
There are people in our government still, career professionals and patriots, who are so disturbed about what they've seen and what they know, they are willing to engage in a kind of mini-mutiny to get the evidence to the American people. Extreme right-wing Trump advisor Steve Bannon calls those entrenched in government the deep state and considers them the enemy. But never before have the cogs and wheels of government risen against a new president, so one might assume they do so for what they believe to be good reason. Now, as promised, back to Jared Kushner. Going into the Memorial Day weekend, we learned that Kushner pushed for secret back-channel communications with Moscow before his father-in-law had taken office. We know this because in December, U.S. intelligence heard Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak tell his superiors in Moscow that Kushner had made that offer. Even Kislyak was surprised that a surrogate for the president-elect would do such a thing, telling the Kremlin he was taken aback. Russia was even more surprised when Kushner later proposed he be allowed into the Russian embassy in Washington to communicate with Moscow using the same phone lines Russians thought were secure from eavesdropping. Kushner wanted a direct, secure line to the Kremlin that couldn't be monitored by U.S. intelligence. It's something a U.S. government official wouldn't be allowed to do, and it's something even the Russians would never allow, not wanting to expose their encryption techniques to any American, any American. It was a naive request on Kushner's part, a mysterious request, and most of all, an odd request. In about 30 days from the time Jared allegedly made that request, his father-in-law would be president and could talk directly with Russia anytime he wanted. Why the rush? Why Russia and not some other country? Why the secrecy? And why during the transition when the White House was barely a month away? It's easy to see why the FBI would be intrigued by this, says one of the Washington Post reporters breaking this story. We have one president and one administration at a time, said former CIA head John Clapper this week, adding, oncoming administrations don't get a head start before the end of the current president's incumbency. About the new Kushner revelations, Clapper said he wasn't able to prove collusion before he left office, but that, quote, my dashboard warning light was clearly on, and I think that was the case with all of us in the intelligence community. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer cut short a briefing this week, failing to answer the question, why did Kushner want a back channel? And we learned this about Kushner that he and Mike Flynn had met with Kislyak at Trump Tower in December and that soon afterward, Kushner met with a Russian banker Kislyak wanted Jared to meet. And not just any Russian banker, one who represented a bank sanctioned by the U.S. for Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a banker who was put into that job personally by Vladimir Putin, a banker who's known to provide intelligence for Putin from here on American soil. And all of this happened even after it was clear to U.S. intelligence that Russia had aggressively meddled in the campaign, hacking and leaking documents and planting fake news on social media. It was then that Trump began his attack on the intelligence community in the campaign, and with it, he began a feud that continues to this day. No wonder the FBI wants to ask Jared Kushner what he knows. Trump defenders say Kushner's meeting and back-channel idea were aimed at ending the civil war in Syria, the fight against ISIS, and to connect Mike Flynn with his soon-to-be counterparts in Russia. But 30 days later, there would have been official channels for that. Why the rush and why Russia? The FBI is now checking for ways Jared's back-channel might have benefited Trump's businesses, especially if those sanctions against Russia were to, say, disappear Reuters reports that Jared has become a focus of the FBI investigation into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Reuters also reports that Kushner failed to disclose at least three other contacts he had with Kislyak, including phone calls as far back as April 2016. Jared Kushner has now reportedly been advised to lay low. There's even talk of a possible leave of absence. And a low-profile Kushner means a bigger role for Steve Bannon. In the days of Watergate, it was called stonewalling, putting up a wall between inquisitors and the information they seek. First, it was the Trump White House refusing the House Intelligence Committee request for papers on the hiring and firing of Mike Flynn, claiming it had no papers on that. Then it was Flynn himself refusing a subpoena to produce documents and testify before Senate investigators pleading the Fifth Amendment. Flynn has now relented to a degree He's turning over all of his business documents along with some of his personal financial records that pertain only to him by Tuesday. Jared 
Manafort and others have agreed to testify, but as the investigation moves closer to Trump, one of those close to Trump is refusing to cooperate. Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, has declined an invitation to testify about anything involving Russia. Cohen says the request was poorly worded, overly broad, and not capable of being answered, Cohen said. And then he threw in a few of his own thoughts on the Russia investigation, Cohen saying they have yet to produce one single piece of credible evidence and he called it a rush to judgment and a total fishing expedition. The House Intelligence Committee has now subpoenaed Cohen to testify, and he says he will. Cohen is one of two dozen people on the witness wish list so far for the House Intelligence Committee. The committee has now also subpoenaed Mike Flynn, but he's expected to plead the Fifth Amendment to avoid incrimination, regardless of guilt. Now, a Russian mixed up in all this has volunteered to testify before Congress if he can get immunity from prosecution. As they did when Mike Flynn offered testimony in exchange for immunity, the investigating lawmaker said no. Oleg Deripaska is a rich guy, a Russian aluminum oligarch who was once a friend of Trump's first campaign manager, Paul Manafort. He's also Putin's favorite oligarch. When Putin travels, he takes Deripaska with him. That relationship went south, and Deripaska is now ready to talk for immunity. But the State Department won't let the multi-billionaire into the U.S. Deripaska is banned from traveling here because of his alleged connection to organized crime. Two months ago, Deripaska sued the Associated Press for reporting that Paul Manafort had laid out a plan to, quote, greatly benefit the Putin government by influencing politics and news coverage here in the U.S. The AP stands by its story. Even if Deripaska were to talk, he can be expected to support the matching denials of Trump and Putin that Russia influenced the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign. Deripaska joins Mike Flynn in refusing to testify without immunity, and there are reports that others who have offered to testify are considering withdrawing their offers or adding that condition of immunity. Those who have offered to testify include Mike Flynn, Oleg Deripaska, Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, Roger Stone, and Carter Page five Trump associates, and a Russian close to Vladimir Putin. So far, congressional investigators have had no appetite for granting immunity. Now that there's a special counsel using the FBI and others to investigate Russian interference and a Trump connection, congressional investigators don't want to grant immunity to someone the special counsel may be closing in on. Congressional immunity is why the felonious Army Colonel Oliver North skated in a criminal trial after he'd sold weapons to Iran and gave the money to the Contra rebels in Nicaragua. For now, at least, Congress doesn't want to make that mistake again, because this is important. Former FBI Director James Comey plans to tell Congress that Trump did press him to end the investigation into one of Trump's top aides, and Comey will reportedly testify in a way that does not jeopardize the special counsel's investigation after having checked with Robert Mueller first. He's been cleared for takeoff. Comey's expected to testify next week, although the precise day and time had not yet been set. Hillary Clinton says it is her opinion and the opinion of intelligence experts that Russia could not have effectively used the data that they'd hacked or generate the fake news that they did without help from inside the U.S. Clinton says she believes Jared Kushner and big-money Trump supporters created the fake stories that were then spread by Breitbart and other right-wing websites. Breitbart Steve Bannon, she says, was Russia's choice, along with Kellyanne Conway, to be among Trump's top advisors. Withholding information from a government background check is a federal crime, and it appears the top crime fighter in the federal government broke that law. Trump Attorney General Jeff Sessions has again been caught not reporting his contacts last year with Russian officials, this time as he applied for security clearance. Again, Sessions didn't tell security clearance he'd been talking with the Russians. One of Sessions' deputies at the Justice Department says he was just following the FBI's instructions, not to mention any foreign contacts he'd had in his capacity as a United States senator from Alabama. A lawyer for the security clearance folks says, no, you are supposed to list all foreign meetings, even as a member of Congress. But it is the second time Sessions failed to include his Russian contacts as he moved toward the attorney general job. The first time was in testimony before Congress, which he later amended to clarify that he had forgotten about those contacts. But a Texas Republican says Sessions should have known better. 
Congressman Will Hurd says it's always better to overshare. Democrats believe Sessions didn't just undershare, but concealed his Russian contacts and that he therefore should not be the nation's top law enforcer, having not followed the law himself. Last night, we learned Congress is investigating yet another previously undisclosed meeting between Sessions and Russia's Ambassador Kislyak. So this is what Trump came home to find, that the Russia talk didn't get drowned out by his coverage of his historic 10-day trip overseas, that his close advisor is now a focus in the Russia probe, his son-in-law advised to lay low, that his election campaign is under investigation, that the Russians may have derogatory intelligence about him and his finances, that former FBI Director Comey plans to squeal on Trump's interference, that a small mutiny is underway led by lifelong civil servants in the government, and that he had a Sunday appointment to meet with the lawyer he has now hired to help him fight all of this. This is what Trump came home to find, a White House in crisis, on the defensive, and somewhat crippled from executing the Trump agenda. Trump's fellow Republicans are undoubtedly nervous about what all this means for the re-election campaigns they'll be launching in just a few months and for the agenda they had hoped to pursue in Congress. There is now a war room in the White House being staffed with lawyers experienced at handling clients under investigation by the government, similar to the war room set up by Bill Clinton when he was under scrutiny over Monica Lewinsky. The lawyers and Jared have advised Trump to tweet less reminding him those tweets can be used against him as they were in his attempt to sell the courts on his Muslim ban. More about Trump's tweets coming up. Jared Kushner, Steve Bannon, and White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus returned early from Trump's trip to work on defense strategies for both Russia and the investigation into the firing of the FBI's James Comey. The three of them are running that war room on Russia and Comey, even though the focus is now on one of the men organizing a defense for Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner. And more changes are underway in the Trump administration because of the turmoil from outside the White House and from within. White House counsel Don McGahn is reportedly uncomfortable in that role, especially after Trump ignored his advice to delay firing Comey. Expect to see less of Sean Spicer in the press briefings and more of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. On Tuesday this week, the White House communications director resigned. Mike Dubke reportedly asked to leave for personal reasons after just three frustrating months on the job. There are reports no one wants to replace him in that job. As one Republican texted, it's like asking someone who's just witnessed a horrific bungee jumping accident whether they'd like to go next. More changes in the Trump White House are expected as it remains under siege by the Russia investigations. There's talk Chief of Staff Reince Priebus may be out. Besides what we are learning from career intel people and journalists, there is also what we are not hearing from a dogged investigator, special counsel, and popular former FBI director Robert Mueller. This is what Trump came home to. What he did while he was gone... North Korea, other news, and they shoot reporters, don't they? After this. I've lost count of the number of times I woke up on a pillow that was so sweaty I had to throw it in the dryer before I could make the bed. Or I'd spend a restless night flipping and reshaping the pillow to try to get cool and dry. Now I wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow because now I sleep on a hello pillow. The hello pillow stays cool while giving my head, neck, and shoulders perfect support all night long, night after night. A lot of us have spent good money on good mattresses but still haven't figured out the right pillow. Traditional fiber fills are hot and humid, collapse under your weight, and don't give you the full night support you need for good posture and good breathing and good sleep. And you have to keep replacing them. A memory foam pillow gives support, but it can't be molded into a shape that's right for you. It doesn't breathe, so it gets hot, and it gives off chemical gases you probably shouldn't spend a third of your life inhaling. Although a microbead pillow does breathe, it too gives off gases, and once those beads collapse, and they will, they're particularly harmful to the environment. And as eco-friendly as a bamboo pillow sounds, it really isn't after all that processing, and it isn't antimicrobial, as its makers have often claimed. Hello pillows are filled with natural buckwheat hulls that are eco-friendly, don't give off gases, and don't collapse. The buckwheat is grown and milled by American farmers before the hulls go into Hello's pre-shrunken certified organic unbleached cotton twill casing right here in the U.S. 
Hello pillows breathe and stay cool and most importantly, conform perfectly to your head, neck, and shoulders for a truly restful night's sleep. And you can adjust the fullness of the Hello pillow by removing or adding more holes through the zipper that's covered for comfort. I'm so happy with mine, I'm proud to give it my personal endorsement and proud that a percentage of the profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Hello pillows are available in three sizes, small, standard, and king. And right now, depending on the size, you can save up to 20 bucks on each additional pillow with fast, free shipping. But you can only get that deal by going to hellopillow.com slash buzz. That's hellopillow.com slash buzz. That's H-U-L-L-O. Say hello to a healthy and restful night's sleep and wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow. Thank you for supporting this brilliant company and this free newscast at hellopillow.com slash buzz. Well, Donald Trump made it clear he thinks his 10-day overseas trip was a success. He called the first part of the trip, the part organized by Jared, a home run. In terms of world diplomacy, not so much. It was only as Trump was leaving for that trip that Britain resumed sharing intelligence on the Manchester bombing with U.S. officials. They'd stopped after the Trump administration released the name of the bomber along with photos the Brits worried would hamper their investigation into the bombing. Britain was gobsmacked by such a breach of trust, but things got smoothed out for the most part, kind of. After visiting the religious capitals for Christians, Jews, and Muslims, Trump was off to a NATO meeting in Brussels and then on to the G7 meeting in Sicily. At the NATO meeting, he scolded Germany and others for not paying their fair share to NATO. That's also where he failed to acknowledge NATO's Article 5, which says an attack on one NATO country is an attack on them all. That NATO principle was a blessing after 9-11 when the other NATO countries helped generously. And that's the only time Article 5 has ever been invoked. Trump delivered his scolding in front of the Article 5 9-11 memorial at NATO headquarters. Trump didn't make a great impression shoving his way to the front of a photograph of NATO leaders. One European official said Trump is like, quote, a new strange kid in the class nobody likes. A journalist wrote that thanks to Trump, Angela Merkel is now the leader of the free world. Till now, that had always been the mantle of the President of the United States. On the trip he called successful, Trump managed to lose the trust of our most powerful ally, Germany. Trump started out with unpleasant words for Germany, calling it bad, very bad, on trade. See the millions of cars they're selling to the U.S.? Asked Trump. Terrible, he said, adding, we'll stop this. Later, Angela Merkel told other European leaders there they can no longer fully count on others, meaning the U.S. Those days, she said, are somewhat over. Saying they cannot trust the Trump administration, German officials have asked the U.S. to stay out of the monitoring of its upcoming presidential election. Both rival candidates in that election, including Prime Minister Angela Merkel, have criticized Trump in their campaign, saying he's not the person to evaluate an election. Although it's unclear what he was referring to, Trump left the Pope with the words, I'll remember what you said. Among what the pontiff said was, urging Trump to keep the U.S. in the Paris Climate Accord for the sake of the planet. Trump heard the same strong advice from Angela Merkel, French President Emmanuel Macron, Italy's Sergio Mattarella, along with Japan's President Shinzo Abe, Britain's Prime Minister Theresa May, and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Thirty-three big American companies have urged Trump to stay in the agreement. Tesla founder Elon Musk says he'll resign the president's advisory council if Trump pulls out. Trump said he would consider this advice and that he would announce a final decision this afternoon. But after Trump returned home from his trip yesterday, the White House announced Trump was expected to pull the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. Trump and his cabinet have made it clear that science and the future of the planet are lower priorities than short-term jobs and big profits in coal and oil. And after all these urgings, Trump was leaning toward his first instinct, oil over planet. During the campaign, he called climate change a hoax and called the Paris Accord a jobs killer. But the White House prediction of Trump's decision today reflects a deep division in the Trump administration. Trump's daughter Ivanka and Secretary of State Tillerson, he of big oil, were urging Trump to keep the U.S. in. And Trump still hasn't really made his final pronouncement as of this recording. 
Trump also got letters from nearly two dozen Republican lawmakers, including Mitch McConnell, urging him to get out of the deal and get out clean. The rest of the world, nearly 200 countries, still in. The European Union has reiterated its commitment to the Paris Accord, despite the U.S. being ready to bug out. Even China says it's still on board. China's president says it's something on which the whole world agrees and that it's each country's responsibility to act. China says its reduction in carbon emissions is moving ahead of schedule. China is now a leader in fighting climate change, and the U.S. is not. The U.S. would join the cutting-edge countries of Syria and Nicaragua in refusing to be part of a worldwide plan to stop global warming. The U.S. would be isolating itself. And that's what Angela Merkel also meant when she warned our European allies the U.S. cannot be relied upon. Trump officials say he opposes the climate agreement because it doesn't put America first and because he believes it would raise the price of that precious oil. On the other hand, it could take him three years to get us out of the agreement. In the meantime, Trump's Environmental Protection Agency has suspended efforts to curb the emissions of methane, a greenhouse gas known to aggravate global warming. But Trump still loves his dictators. Before his trip, he chatted by phone with brutal Philippine dictator Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, Trump congratulated Duterte on his great anti-drug campaign, which has killed well over 7,000 drug users and dealers outside the legal system. The two of them agreed that Kim Jong-un is a madman. And while assuring Duterte that the Philippines would be protected from an attack by North Korea, Trump also revealed more classified information that the U.S. had two nuclear submarines in the area. They're submarines for a reason, so they can't be located. Trump gave up that information voluntarily. And then Trump added, not that we want to use them all, but he could be crazy, so we'll see what happens. Since Trump's return, we have learned he's been giving his personal cell phone number to other world leaders and urging them to call him directly. Trump offered the number to the leaders of Mexico, Canada, and France. Only Canada's Trudeau and France's Macron accepted the offer, which doesn't guarantee they'll actually use that number. The problems with handing out Trump's cell number are numerous and serious. Using those unsecured phones exposes all of them to wiretapping. Foreign intelligence can then track our president and listen in on his calls, all of them. Making international policy without the government's foreign policy experts in on the call is ill-advised, which is why it has never been done, ever. Without a transcript of these conversations, there's no way to later prove who agreed to what or what they did or didn't say. This after Trump laid into Hillary Clinton for using a private email server and said a person that careless shouldn't have access to classified information. But for Trump, it's just another back channel. Concerned Americans will take to the streets on Saturday in a nationwide march for truth, demanding the truth about Trump and Russia. There'll be marches in 140 cities across the country and around the world to demand an independent prosecutor. If the turnout is big, it will show that the resistance is not going away. And since Trump's return, Trump tweeted at six minutes past midnight yesterday morning, despite the constant negative press, Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, and that's where the tweet ended, and that's where it stayed all night without ever being deleted. The next morning, Trump challenged people in another tweet to try to decode the last one. Many people believe they already have. The U.S. military enjoyed a huge success this week, especially in terms of protecting us from an unpredictable North Korea. For the first time ever, the U.S. used an interceptor missile to shoot down an incoming replica of an ICBM. ICBMs are faster and therefore harder to hit than other missiles. So this was quite an accomplishment. The target missile flew in roughly the same angle of approach as would a missile from North Korea. It was the first time an interceptor had been used to shoot down an ICBM and it worked on the first time. Previous tests with smaller missiles were not quite as successful, hitting their marks 9 out of 17 times. The U.S. test came right after North Korea fired another one of its test missiles, its ninth this year, at a recent pace of about one per week. What happened in the U.S. test this week was a huge breakthrough in defense, according to the Pentagon, 
but some analysts warn it was not even close to a real-world test. The Trump administration, having lost in all other courts, is taking its fight for a Muslim ban all the way to the highest court in the land. The Trump White House is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to lift the various injunctions against the ban on travel from six mostly Muslim countries after losing again in a federal appeals court one week ago today. Lawyers for the Trump administration argue it's not a Muslim ban. Its text doesn't have anything to do with religion, they argued, even though a Muslim ban is what Trump promised in his campaign and asked Rudy Giuliani to help him make it legal. The administration's first version of the order gave preferential visa and refugee treatment to Christians, a provision that was dropped as Trump's plan began losing battles in court. It's not likely the Supreme Court will schedule a special session to rule on this case. More likely, we'll have to wait at least until the court reconvenes on the first Monday in October. Riding Trump's anti-immigrant wave, Texas lawmakers and governor have passed a bill that outlaws sanctuary cities in that state to the point of threatening sheriffs with arrest if they don't cooperate with federal immigration authorities. So on the last day of the lawmakers' regular session, a thousand protesters showed up in the Capitol. One state representative, Matt Rinaldi, says he saw a sign that said, we're illegal and here to stay. So Rinaldi says he picked up the phone and called immigration. That enraged Texas Democrats, and that's when the scuffle broke out, the pushing and the shoving in the Texas legislature. One Democrat says Rinaldi threatened to kill him. Another said Rinaldi threatened to, quote, put a bullet in one of my colleagues' heads. The new Texas ban on sanctuary cities may not hold up to the expected lawsuits. A federal judge has already issued an injunction against Trump's order to withhold billions of dollars from sanctuary cities. The Republican congressional candidate in Montana who pummeled a reporter got elected anyway. By the time Greg Gianforte was arrested and charged with assault for attacking a bona fide reporter who'd asked an issue question, a third of the voters in that red state had already cast their ballots. And of the third that had not, some of them voted for Gianforte even though they knew he'd assaulted a journalist. Some of them voted for him because he had assaulted a member of the fourth estate. Trump campaigned for Gianforte via robocalls and congratulated Montana later on its win. No word yet on when now Congressman Gianforte might appear in court on those assault charges. And just two days later in Texas, the Honorable Governor Greg Abbott joked about shooting reporters. He was signing a bill that makes a gun license more affordable for more people. And then the governor of the Lone Star State went upstairs to the gubernatorial shooting range and fired some shots. And then he held up his target sheet full of holes and said, I'm going to carry this around in case I see any reporters. At the recent Coast Guard commencement, Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly held a ceremonial sword and said to Trump, use that on the press, sir. Yeah, that's right, said Trump, and they both chuckled. Trump continues to blame reporters for his Russia troubles, and many of his supporters agree, witness the Montana vote. In Lexington, Kentucky, it appears somebody shot out several windows of a newspaper Sunday morning. The editor says he and his reporters will not be deterred, whether it was a simple vandalism case or something more sinister. If it weren't for reporters, we wouldn't know the word Watergate, and reporters Woodward and Bernstein wouldn't be the historical heroes they are. Bob Seska has the week off for a Memorial Day break. He'll be back here next week, and I'll join him for his show Tuesday when he returns. A JetBlue flight from New York to San Francisco was diverted to Michigan after a passenger's laptop caught fire. The lithium battery had overheated on the 25th row, creating smoke in the cabin at 35,000 feet. The fire was extinguished and nobody got hurt. And despite the volatility of those batteries, Homeland Security still plans to ban them from the cabin on flights into the U.S., relegating them instead to the belly of the plane in the checked baggage compartment. Homeland Security says that's because checked baggage is more easily screened for laptops armed with explosives. Ironically, the laptops themselves can be explosive even without terrorist tampering, and the FAA warns of a safety danger about putting those battery devices in the belly of the plane. While the Trump government focuses on crimes committed by undocumented residents, domestic hate crimes continue at a pace that's accelerated since the election. It was Jeremy Joseph Christian of Portland, Oregon, 
who began yelling anti-Muslim slurs on a commuter train during the afternoon rush last Friday. He was ranting and raving, according to what police gathered, quoting a sergeant, what would be characterized as hate speech. Christian reportedly yelled at two young women who appeared to be Muslim. As people tried to calm him down, Christian reportedly yelled, This is a free country. I can do whatever I want. Three other Americans on that train intervened, and Jeremy Joseph Christian then slashed the throats of two of them and stabbed the other. Two of those three men died. Portland's mayor is now calling on the federal government to revoke the demonstration permits for extreme right-wing groups set for this Saturday and the following Sunday. They're billed as Trump free speech rallies. Our city, said the mayor, is in mourning. Mayor Ted Wheeler says all three of the men who intervened are heroes and added, there is too much hatred in our world right now and far too much violence. After being criticized for not speaking up, Trump finally threw his energy into a tweet calling the stabbings on the train unacceptable. The rookie cop who shot and killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice has been fired and the officer driving the patrol car has been suspended. The driver was suspended for pulling up too close to the person of interest, a violation of department policy to stay back. But both officers were cleared of violating any other policies. Earlier this year, the 911 dispatcher who called officers to the scene was suspended for eight days. She failed to tell the responding officers that the guy with the gun was more likely a boy with a toy gun. An off-duty officer at the park where the shooting occurred was suspended for moonlighting as security without department approval. The city of Cleveland paid Tamir's family $6 million in an out-of-court settlement. The officer who killed Tamir was so new to the department he was still in his probationary period. He was fired, ultimately, because he had failed to mention on his application that he'd been forced out of a suburban police department at the end of his probationary period there. For whatever reasons, Timothy Lohman isn't a cop anymore. We lost another life Sunday in the 9-11 attack. Ray Pfeiffer was just 59 years old when he died this week. But Ray was a New York firefighter and had spent eight months combing through the toxic rubble of the World Trade Center looking for his friends. The acrid haze that hung in the air for a week repeatedly filled his lungs as he dug through chemical-laden debris, and then he got cancer, terminal cancer that killed him at 59 on Sunday. And Ray was just one of the 33,000 responders who survived but were hurt or made ill by their heroic work. Nearly seven years ago, Congress approved health care for more than 100,000 people exposed to the toxins that were in the air in the days and weeks after 9-11. Nearly two years ago, Congress extended that health care through the year 2090, something Ray had lobbied for. It was his dying wish that health care for the 9-11 survivors continue. It's a good thing Sharon Thomas got life in prison instead of the death penalty for the murder our justice system said he'd committed, because as it turns out, Thomas didn't kill anyone. He's been exonerated after police found a homicide folder that had been missing for decades. The evidence in that folder backed up Thomas's story. So instead of being wrongfully executed, Thomas had spent 24 years wrongfully imprisoned. And he is not bitter. He says he has always had faith in the justice system and that he learned a lot in prison. And he holds no grudges. Wearing a skull cap as he left prison, Thomas told a reporter, In my faith there's no need. If I hold a grudge, I ain't never gonna grow. Helmet laws are helping, but fidget spinners are not. Whorehouse becomes drive through and the naked guy in the swan, up next. When I was a toddler, I'd follow closely behind my dad. He, he didn't always know it. One day as we passed through a doorway, he closed the door behind him, accidentally trapping me between the main door and the storm door. It's a very narrow space. Well, he found me quietly waiting there as soon as he'd noticed I wasn't behind him anymore. He, he loves telling that story and others, and we bond with laughter when he does. It's the little things, isn't it? So what thoughtful little thing can we do for our dads on Father's Day this year? Something personal would be nice and practical. About a nice shave set from Harry's? That might be the answer. It's the quality I've been telling you about all along. The balanced handle, a trio of Harry's famous five-blade precision cartridges, and their foamy moisturizing shave gel. Starting at just 15 bucks, 10 when you use my discount code. 
Or check out Harry's limited edition Father's Day set with the storm gray handle, a chrome razor stand, the foaming shave gel, three replacement blades, and a travel cover in a gift box with free custom engraving and a card if you'd like. And save $5 off any set when you enter my code R-E-L-M at harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And remember to use the code R-E-L-M at checkout. It helps the show and it helps you figure out Father's Day. That's harrys.com and the checkout code R-E-L-M. And happy Father's Day to my dad and yours. Five years ago, the state of Michigan essentially repealed its motorcycle helmet law. How's that working out? Researchers at Michigan State University took a look. They found that head and face injuries have more than doubled since the helmet law was scrapped. The study found that helmetless riders with skull fractures were more likely to die and that those types of injuries are up 26% since the helmet law was scrapped. The researchers concluded, therefore, that wearing a helmet decreases a biker's chance of facial injury by half. Only 19 states and D.C. have full helmet laws for all cyclists. Only some riders are required to wear them in 28 states. There are no helmet laws in Illinois, Iowa, and New Hampshire. The head of the VA says he is open to treating soldiers with PTSD using medical marijuana. Dr. David Shulkin was appointed by President Obama and remains as the Secretary at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Shulkin says that even with the existing federal laws on weed, there might be a way to make medical marijuana available to vets with post-traumatic stress in the states where it's legal. Shulkin cited, quote, some evidence this is beginning to be helpful, and we're interested in looking at that and learning from that. Shulkin says current federal law does not prevent the VA from considering this option. Shulkin admits also that the VA is still a mess with problems built in years and decades ago. He says government red tape keeps him from firing the dead weight quickly. It took the VA five months to rid itself of a psychiatrist who was caught watching porn on his iPad while he was supposed to be listening to a veteran. Your fidget spinner isn't helping. They claim to be good for stress, anxiety, and boredom relief. And there was a UC Davis study that suggested that kids with ADHD can focus better if they're allowed to fidget while listening. That claim prompted millions of kids to take fidget spinners to school, much to the frustration of teachers who had a sense the spinners were more distracting than helpful. A Chicago doctor is calling foul on the claims, which he says are not based in science. Psychiatrist Lewis Krauss says there are no studies showing that fidget spinners are therapy for attention deficit disorder, adding, I think it's wrong for them to advertise these things as helpful. And now that UC Davis researcher says it is true. Schoolwork, she says, is probably a lot less interesting than playing with a toy, the latest toy to saturate the nation. A New York doctor says fidget spinners are just a new craze among children and their appeal will pass in time. Next summer, the U.S. will reach out to touch the sun, or at least the sun's atmosphere. NASA has announced a mission to the star at the heart of our solar system, unmanned, of course, since the surface temperature is around 10,000 degrees. The radiation is almost unimaginable, not to mention the magnetic waves or solar winds. The probe is headed there to study the solar storms and flares that affect satellite communications and power grids here on Earth. The probe is expected to survive until it passes the 2,500-degree mark at the corona around the sun. And the target is a mere 93 million miles and seven years away. Don't drink from the aquarium because of this story, but an antioxidant used in aquariums appears to fight the aging of our skin. Methylene blue appears to be a breakthrough for skin care that actually appears to reverse signs of aging in skin, even the dermal thinning that goes with getting older. Just eight years ago, Christopher Koch was writing a thesis on electronic data encryption when he spent 27 bucks to buy 5,000 of the new Bitcoin, which had just been introduced. Bitcoin is digital money regulated by encryption and is exchanged online without going through a bank. So Christopher bought 27 bucks worth of Bitcoin when it first appeared, and it's now worth $886,000.
Those who use Bitcoin say it's the money of the future. And economists who've been watching it these eight years say that unlike other currencies, including our own, Bitcoin is surprisingly stable. Its value does not vary with the ups and downs of the stock market. But it has become more valuable over time. Just ask Christopher Koch. The career of comedian Kathy Griffin may be over. She has lost her 10-year, once-a-year gig with CNN, co-hosting the New Year's Eve show with Anderson Cooper. Cooper and many others condemned Griffin's performance piece this week in which she held a replica of the bloody, severed head of Donald Trump. Trump objected as well, tweeting that his 11-year-old son is having a hard time with this. Griffin offended liberals and conservatives with her photo, but it was her fellow liberals whose cause was hurt the most. Griffin has since apologized and admitted she went too far. Greg Allman will be buried in Macon, Georgia this Sunday alongside his brother Dwayne. Greg died Saturday from liver cancer. Dwayne died in a bike crash when he was 24 and fans have been visiting his gravesite since he was laid there in 1971. Sunday's burial will be private with fewer than 100 people. Mourners have been asked to wear jeans, no suits. The Allman brothers were fathers of Southern Rock. Ariana Grande will return to Manchester, England for a benefit concert to help the victims and survivors of the recent bombing there that killed 22 people. Survivors who had tickets to the show the night of the bombing will get free tickets to the benefit. Also performing Coldplay, Katy Perry, Usher, Pharrell Williams, Miley Cyrus, and Justin Bieber. The show is Sunday and will be streamed on the internet around the world. The sixth Pirates of the Caribbean movie was the number one movie in U.S. and Canadian theaters over the holiday weekend. Despite unkind reviews, people paid over $60 million to see it in its opening weekend. Our second choice was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It made nearly $20 million, and the Baywatch spoof made nearly that much for third place. Will Pirates hang on for a second week, and what's new this week? For all your choices, theaters, showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. In Belgium, it's the king versus the king. Corporate America coming through. Burger King is opening its first Belgian burger joint next month and set the table with an ad campaign with their new website. Visitors to the site are asked to pick Belgian King Felipe or that spooky-looking Burger King. If the visitor votes for King Felipe, the website responds, Are you sure? He won't be the one to cook your fries. But the royal family are not amused, saying they do not allow photos of the monarch to be used for profit as Burger King did on its cheeky little website. A spokesman for the Belgian royal family says the campaign is disrespectful. Burger King says it has not heard yet about this from Belgium. About 40 miles outside Charlotte, North Carolina, sheriff's deputies have busted an apparently illegal growing operation. But it wasn't a crop of marijuana. It was a field of poppies and not the kind World War I veterans wore on their lapels on Memorial Day. The opium kind of poppies, poppies for making heroin, a ton of of poppies, in this case allegedly a crop worth a half billion dollars. And the deputies found these tidy rows of poppies behind the house of a man they had come to ask about cockfighting. They have not charged him yet with animal cruelty, but they have charged him with felonies, including the manufacture and trafficking of a Schedule II narcotic. The suspect surrendered peacefully. He answered the door saying, I guess you hear about the opium. This is a whorehouse, not a drive through A Nevada truck driver who'd been fired from his job stole a tractor trailer and barreled through the front gates of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch near Carson City. The cab stopped on the front steps of that building just enough to demolish the front of that famous brothel. The Reno Gazette Journal reports nearly a half million dollars damage. The trucker was arrested in Sparks on battery and other charges. Mickey Carson had been fired by Central Transport International Trucking for inappropriate behavior. And for whatever reason, he apparently took that out on the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. In Everett, Washington this week, thieving men used a blowtorch to try to get into an ATM machine. They got it open, but accidentally burned up all the cash. 
And thank you, Florida, for this week's submission from the home office. In Polk County, between Orlando and Tampa, sheriff's deputies were looking for a naked guy and a great big swan. According to the surveillance video at Lakeland Cold Storage, it was just before 5 a.m. when a man pulled up in a stolen pickup and squeezed through a gap in the fence. Probably didn't want to tear his clothes because he was buck naked. Buck naked with a bucket. A five-gallon bucket. We still don't know how the bucket fits into all this, but it seemed worth mentioning. The next morning, management looked at the video after calling police to report that their trademark giant swan sculpture was missing. Later, a couple of boys were fishing in a pond in Lakeland and spotted this dramatically painted, hard-to-miss, giant black-and-white swan. One of the boys brought his mom to take a look. She did and called the sheriff. Deputies have now recovered the truck, the swan, the bucket, and the buck-naked man. And we have another mental picture for the Florida Files. It was the last day of school for 15-year-old Jack Beatles of Stillwater, Oklahoma. For many boys, it's awkward enough when your dad picks you up from school at that age. But on that last day of school, it was even more awkward for Jack. His dad showed up, hopped out of the car, came running toward Jack with his arms open, wearing just a Speedo swim brief and some fake Olympic medals. Jack's dad, Justin, says his dad taught him make a memory every day. Jack probably won't need therapy, quoting him, no one can make fun of me because it's the last day of school. In a questionnaire at the end of the school year, an 11-year-old girl wrote under Things My Teacher Can Do Better. She wrote, not use collective punishment as it is not fair on the many people who did nothing. And, added the 11-year-old, under the 1949 Geneva Convention, it is a war crime. Her father tweeted a photo of that handwritten answer, adding, not sure if I should ground her or buy her ice cream. And finally, from our It's the Thought That Counts department in Houston, a young man named Jamarcus bought his girlfriend a flower. Uh, he thought it was a flower. It was purple and attractive. So as a romantic gesture, Jamarcus bought it and gave it to Jaylin. I was sleeping, she tweeted later, and he woke me up by knocking on my window. I went to the door and he had lettuce in his hand and a big smile, and I just started laughing, and after I hugged and kissed him. The Twitterverse saw the pics and immediately set Jaylin right. It isn't a flower, it isn't lettuce, it's kale. And anyway, it worked for Jamarcus, so this year... Say it with kale. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.